Good morning, Thrive Church. How are we doing this morning? Man, it's great to have you guys with us. And uh, I want to reiterate what Pastor Keith just said is that the Saturday at 5 p.m. service, like what we're trying to do is alleviate pressure for our 10 a.m. service because that's when most first-time guests are going to come. Um, man, utilize that, Friday, that, that Saturday uh, at 5 p.m. service because you can have all day on Easter guilt-free to go enjoy your Easter Sunday. Does that sound good? And some of you, let me say this, you may want to go to, a, to a, one of your family members' churches that you usually wouldn't normally go to, um, and you're going to do it to do a favor for them. You can come get your Thrive on Saturday at 5, and then you can go to their church, and so then you've had, you've had your church, and you get this. Like, isn't that great? Win-win? All right, so don't forget our Saturday at 5 service is going to be awesome. Well, if you've just joined us today, we're in a series called Fish and Chips, and we're looking at the feeding of the 5,000 from all different angles from each gospel writer. It's the only miracle that is recorded in all four gospels besides the resurrection. So if you have your Bible, turn to John 6, verse 1 this morning. John 6, verse 1. Now, this is mostly meant for men, what I'm getting ready to say, but I know there's some women in here that also feel the same way. How many of you, when you have something go wrong at your home, or it goes wrong with the car, or something happens, when you find out how much it's going to cost you to fix it, you say, I'm going to fix this myself. <laughs> Instead of going to the expert, I am going to get this done. Now, wives, don't look at your husbands, husbands look at wives, but how many times have you gotten in trouble when you've tried to fix something, you've made the situation worse? <laughs> and you're like, and then you hear, you should have just called the plumber, the electrician, the HVAC guy, you should have just let somebody else fix it, Right? Um, most people are like, there. is anybody like that in here that wants to fix it themselves? That once they see the price? Okay, now here's where true honesty in the, in, in the church really, really needs to happen. How many of you would admit that you messed it up and made it worse when you tried to fix it? I see that hand, brother. Amen. I see that hand. Look at it. Revival is breaking out over Thrive. People are confessing their sins publicly right here at Thrive Church, right? I'm that person too, and I usually don't even use instructions. Uh, I hate reading instructions when I do it. But I want to just share with you today that so many times in our spiritual lives, the same thing happens. That we get into a situation that we're not really qualified to fix, we can't fix, we don't have the resources for. But what we usually do, instead of going to the expert with the capital E, we want to do it ourselves. And I want to kind of reveal today and show you what does it show us about our spiritual lives when we face those situations we can't fix problems that we can't fix, things we can't fight. What does that really reveal about us deeply? Now, the Apostle John recorded this miracle here. He was the last gospel writer. He's the oldest one, the last living apostle. He was the bridge between first century Christianity and second century Christianity. So a lot of the church fathers had a time of the second century, got time to spend time with John. And when he wrote his gospel, John at this point said, you know, I've read Matthew's gospel. I was with Matthew. I, I like what he did. A lot of good teachings. Um, very, very focused on Judaism. Um, it was good, very long. He said, I like Mark's. It, you know, it came from Peter. He marks down what Peter and learned and kind of got that and dictated it. He said, um, and Luke's was good. Gentile writer, great doctor. We'll look at Luke's ne look, gospel next week. He says, but I want to share a different perspective. So when you read the gospel of John, there are stories about people. John was very people-oriented. John was a sweetheart. Like it says at the Last Supper that he did what? He laid his head on Jesus' chest. He was, I mean, I'm going to say something good. He was also the only one at the cross. Everybody else deserted. John was faithful and John was there. And so when you read the gospel of John, you'll always see him bringing up a man named Nicodemus in the conversation with Jesus, these one-on-one -on -one things. You'll see him um, talking about the woman at the well. Like there's all these stories that happen. The woman caught in adultery, right? All that stuff that goes on. 
And here, when you read the feeding of the 5,000, John highlights some things that we didn't see in the other Gospels that we didn't know. And John's like, man, I, I like what Matthew did, but I was there too. He forgot all about this. And what you're going to see here, and we're going to really accentuate today, is Philip and Andrew and their conversation with Jesus in regards to the feeding of the 5,000. So if you have your copy of God's Word, look at John 6, 1. And John says, after this. Now what John bases this on after this was a lot of arguments with the, the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they were coming after Jesus. Jesus was really getting attacked. And so then he says, after this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Then Jesus climbed a hill and sat down with his disciples around him. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. So Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, watch this, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all of these people? He was testing Philip for he already knew what he was going to do. Then Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we would not have enough money to feed them. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There is a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? Tell everyone to sit down, Jesus said. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes. The men alone numbered about 5,000. Remember, there was women and children, so you're probably looking at 20,000 people. Then Jesus took the loaves, and he gave thanks to God and distributed them among the people. Afterwards, he did the same with the fish. They all ate as much as they wanted, and afterwards, everyone was full. So Jesus told his disciples, now gather up the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces and filled the 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. When the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, surely he is a prophet we have been expecting. And watch this. When Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills by himself. What we see here is Jesus' conversation with two of his disciples, two different people. And maybe you're going to relate to one or the other. But Philip was very analytical. He said, what are we going to do about feeding them? And, and Philip says, well, man, we don't have enough money. Like, there's not enough money to feed all of them. Send them away. So analyzing, Philip saw the crowd, he saw their resources, and knew there wasn't enough money. But then Andrew was the other person. Now, he was always bringing people to Jesus. Remember, he brought his brother Peter to Jesus. That's how Peter initially met Jesus was Andrew did this. And so he brought it to him. And he asked him, he said, well, what you got? He said, well, I've got a little boy here with some fish and some bread. But surely that's not enough. And two people, the same situation and two different responses. And what John highlights here, he actually shows you that not just it was bread and fish, but he says that it was two fish. The word fish here that John uses is different than the other gospel writers. He says it was two very small fish. So that, what's that word? That word means very small fish there. And he says it was barley loaves. Now, to you and I, you're like, yeah, what is barley? I mean, what does that matter? It was Jewish culture today. That's what animals ate. Humans didn't eat barley loaves. So it was very strange for, like, Jesus to take two small fish and bread, only good for animals, and to feed these people with that. But what happens here is he tests them in the situation. He says, you don't have enough. We don't have enough. So what's going to happen there? And they immediately looked around the resources. They looked at money. They looked at what they had. And they made a huge mistake in that. 
and Jesus shows up in power. And I want to tell you today that when you get in those situations where it's way beyond your pay grade, you're way in over your skis, you have no idea how you're going to pay for this, how you're going to fix this, how it's going to work, how it's going to make it, the Lord allows us to get in those, situ in those situations because here's the question where we that we usually ask that we mess up with, and it's this, do I have enough to fix the situation? That's what they were asking themselves. Do I have enough to fix it? That's what they were thinking. And can you be honest, like when you get in those situations, we can say, yeah, I prayed. But what we usually do is we look around and see what resources we have readily available. How much credit do I have? Like, what can I do with this? What can I do with that? And we get into fix-it mode. And that's what Andrew and Philip both did, fix-it mode. And Jesus wanted them to understand that he will put them in situations they cannot fix, way above their pay grade, so he can show up and display his power and his glory. Like, think about with Lazarus in the tomb. He waited two extra days before he even went. Like, he heard his friend was sick and waited two extra days for it to get bad enough that nobody believed that he could do it because the Jews believed that the soul would leave three days after the body was there. He waited until his fourth day. There was no hope at all. And everybody came running him, if you only would have been here earlier, Jesus, you could have fixed this. And he will put you and I in situations that is outside of our control. And here's why. I want you to write this down. This is so important. Because our perspective of provision reveals our faith in the provider. Our perspective of provision. Where are you looking for for your provision? Because that reveals true faith in the provider. Matter of fact, Jesus said this in the Sermon on the Mount. I'm going to quote this a few times today, but in Matthew 6, 8, Jesus was speaking to the crowds and his disciples in his first sermon ever that we know of. He says, do not be like them. Who is them? It was the Gentiles, the pagans. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. What's the difference between a Gentile pagan and a follower of Christ? The Gentiles looked around at everything else. They looked around them. They looked to the stars for answers. You know what Christ followers can do? I know it sounds cheesy, but kind of to tell you, we don't look to the stars for answer. We look to the, ones who, the one who created the stars for the answer. Amen? We don't have to look around at how much we have because our Father owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He owns it all. And when you get in those situations, you, you will find out how much faith you really have in your Father when you get in the situations where it looks way too big for you. I know my son... Um, Recently, he's been watching this YouTube channel called Colin Amazing. And uh, like, these kids are really good, like bottle flipping. They can take these bottles and flip water bottles like 3,000 in a row. And they can, I mean, it's phenomenal. And then die stacking. Has anybody ever seen die stacking? I'd never, even, I'd never heard of it. Like he can take a dice cup, a Yahtzee cup, and he can lay four or five dice out and go, and they're all stacked up straight. And then he's learned how to take them all off. And he can try, now he's trying to put them on water bottles. I can't do it, guys. Like, you know, it gets to a point with your children, some of you have older children, it gets to a point that you're always better than them at everything, <laughs> and you're just teaching little buddy or little, 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 little one how, how to do it. This kid now, has got, he's better than I am. Like, let's do a die second challenge. I'm like, man, you're going to drag me, bro. Like, I can't, <laughs> I can't do it. So recently, here's what he did. He said, hey, Colin Amazing lives in Wisconsin. Can we go visit Colin? I want to meet Colin Amazing and his family, because he's so connected to this family, the whole family. And the reason they know how to do all this, when you live in Wisconsin during the winter, you have nothing to do but die stack and flip water bottles, right? You're saying, I said, buddy, Wisconsin's a terrible place. You don't want to go there. 
He's like, let's go there for vacation. Like, nobody goes to Wisconsin. I'm sorry if you're from Wisconsin, you're offended, but you know it's true, right? That's why you're here in Richmond, Virginia. <laughs> if you're watching online and you're in Wisconsin, we're praying for you. We're praying for you. But he said, let's, let's go find Colin Amazing. I know you can do it, Dad. Can you just look it up? He, like, he just will not. He believes I can just do anything. I'm like, son, I can't. He said, let's just fly to Wisconsin. It's an eight-year-old. And we just drive around and look. He said, I think I can recognize our house. <laughs> he said, maybe they'll be outside. They do this basketball. I mean, he's got it all fixed. He said, Dad, I know you can do it. I was like, son, do you love your dad? He said, yeah. I said, if I go drive around looking for kids <laughs> in a strange city, <laughs> They're going to put me in jail. <laughs> and he just kept going on and on and on. So, so let me just say this, guys. If, if I get put in jail in Wisconsin because I was driving around looking for calling him, bail me out. You know the story, right? <laughs> but he had so much faith in me. He's like, man, you can do it, Dad. I know you can find Colin. I know you can. And I just finally had to break him. I can't find Colin Amazing. We're not going to go see Colin Amazing. But he has this faith in me as his father that I can just do it. I can do anything. I can find anything. I can do it. And I think, guys, we have to have that childlike faith as well, that our Father will come through for us. Our Father loves us. Our Father wants to provide and protect. And it, that will calm your soul when you get in situations like the feeding of the 5,000 where it looks way too big for you. You know what? I think God wants you in situations way too big for you. So you understand that you stop relying on you and you start relying on Him. Because here's what you have to understand. There's only really two views when you get in these situations you can have of God. He's either the God who denies or the God who provides. If you believe he's the God who denies, you're going to worry yourself to death. How, 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 how? And you're just trying to figure out every little dot and how it's all going to happen. You won't sleep at night. But when you know he's the God who provides, it brings peace to you. And worry will drive you sick, Right? You can worry or you can worship, but you can't do both at the same time. Now, there's a story of this husband and wife, and the wife, every time she heard a noise downstairs, she thought a burglar was breaking in, and she'd send her husband down every time, go, go, go. And the husband would go down there and check, nothing there. And this is years this goes on. Then finally one night, she's like, I heard something, I heard something. Go check. He goes downstairs and checks, and there's a burglar there. He sees the burglar. He says, sir, 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 sir. He said, don't be alarmed. He says, don't leave. I'm not calling the cops. He says, my wife has been waiting on you for 10 years. Will you please go introduce yourself to her? <laughs> well, that's what worry, 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 worry all the time. That, that, that's how we are. And usually we're paying down payment on something that's never going to happen, right? Let, we're letting thoughts of worry and anxiety live rent-free in our minds. And Jesus spoke to his followers about that. Matter of fact, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this to him in Matthew 6, 31 through 33. He says, do not worry then. He's speaking about resources, money, clothing, house. He says, don't worry then saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear for clothing? For Gentiles, that's the non-Jews at that time, eagerly seek all these things. But for you, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. That's the second time he had said that already in that chapter. Your heavenly Father already knows. No, Jesus already knew what he was going to do with feeding the 5,000. He already knows. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. It's where are you looking when things come your way that you can't handle? Do you look around you first, or do you look up first to your heavenly Father? And Jesus said, do not worry. That word worry there literally means, like, like other, your, your translation may say, don't be anxious. 
It means to be pulled apart, literally pulled into two. Because so many times when we get in situations we can't handle, anxiety just put. You ever had, had the term scattered brain where you're going through something? You can't focus correctly. Your brain's going everywhere. And Jesus says, don't be like that. That's not how I designed you to be because your heavenly father already knows it. You just stay focused on him. You keep seeking him. You keep going after him. And God is going to add all these things to you. Stop seeking solutions for the problem all, all the time and start seeking the provider. Amen? Start seeking God. with. I don't know who that is, who that's for in here, but there's somebody who needs to know that today, that you've got to change your focus from what's around you to your Father. And so here's what you have to understand, though. Here's what God's going to do is he's going to leave you with very little resources because we know this, we must believe that God is at his best when we have nothing left. That's when God works best. God works best. You know, I, I, the whole thing about Lazarus, I was listening to a message about that the other day, and, and the tomb and all those things. Like, you can't see God's power unless you have a very, very big problem. You can't understand and know God. You'll never know God is your healer unless you're sick. But you're like, I don't want to get sick. You'll never know God is your provider unless you don't have provision, right? And so the only way to know your Father in that area or way is for him to come through for you. It's like something I tell my son all the time. My dad told me, I said, son, you know, old, old dad's going to always come through, right? He says, that's right. He knows that. We need to have the same belief that when God is at his best, when there's nothing left. The disciples, it was not even on their radar that God could do this because it looked like it was insurmountable. So I want to encourage you to do this, guys. Activate true faith when there's little hope. You've got to activate true faith. It doesn't come naturally. You know what comes naturally? Worry, doubt, fear. All those things come naturally to us. Activating true faith does not come naturally. And so when you're in those situations, you've got to activate true faith when there's little hope in your life. Think about this. With the, in the Old Testament, you had Elijah and you had the woman who, had, you know, he goes there and it's her and her son and they have just this little bit of oil and a little bit of flour and bread, like they had no, almost nothing left. Didn't know what they were going to do. And Elijah shows up, he said, well, give me the last of what you have to eat. He was hungry. He's like, if I do that, what, what's going to happen? We have nothing left. And when she did that, multiplication happened. Think about it, too, with the feeding the 5,000. Nothing. We don't have enough money. And this is, listen, the food they had was not even enough to feed the disciples. That's crazy, right? And I want you to understand that whenever you get in these situations, you've got to fight against the norm and say, I'm going to activate true faith when there's little hope in my life. I'm going to believe my Father. And here's how we do this. These are two things that have helped me. Now, the first one here is my soapbox. You'll hear this all the time. But it's something that you'll always, if you don't, again, correct it, you're going to play this narrative out. But the first is this. Trust in God's faithfulness, not in your expected outcome. And this is where we get in trouble, guys. We get married to the way we think God needs to handle something. We get married to the way that we, and we pray that way, we lean that way. I mean, our mind goes that way. That this is, we get tunnel vision. It can only be this way. I told you before, sometimes God will deliver from death. Remember the book of Daniel? And then sometimes God delivers through death because we don't die as believers, right? 
we have to understand that there, there, there are times that God's going to come through for you, but it's going to look so radically different than what you thought. The disciples, in their mind, did not have the framework to believe that Jesus was getting ready to multiply and feed 5,000 with that. Was not on their radar, amen? And some of you, what God has in store for you is not even on your radar. Like, I love when people ask me, what's your five-year plan? I'm like, bro, five-year plan? Did not COVID, COVID teach us anything? Like, I have a five-day plan, maybe a five-week plan. I mean, I, at, good, at best, a five-month plan, but five years? And if I look back five years ago at the plan that I thought my father had for me, and now look now, I'm like, man, I love what the Lord is doing in my life. I love it. Was not the way I thought I would get to the point that I'm at right and you have to understand stop attaching god's faithfulness to the way that it's going to turn out the faithfulness of god is his character it's not the outcome that you expect and you've got to release that if you are going to activate true faith then it's god i trust that you will be faithful no matter what i face because of so and i say this you say well why do you preach this to us a lot because it's one of the common things i have from christians that come to me and say god let me down i used to believe but he let me down. I'm thinking, how did, how did God let you down? And here's how. He didn't answer the prayer according to the way that I wanted it answered. And friends, you have to divorce yourself from that and say, you know what? God, I trust your faithfulness, no matter how this has worked out. And then finally, I'm going to share this with you. Here's what you have to do. Give to God the little that you do have. Because you look at your ability, I don't, ha I don't have much to offer. Oh, no, no, no. You, you give God a little bit you do have. I don't have a lot of resources. Give God a little bit that you do have. Because God can take that little bit in your hand and do so much more and you give it to him. And I don't know what that is for you. But some of you, you beat yourselves up. You think you're not good enough. And, you, and you're looking and saying, well, but what good is this, God, that I have? And the Lord's saying, if you just give that to me, I could do so much in your life. Friends, I want to encourage you. When you get into situations that seem insurmountable, you get into circumstances, you're like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how it's going to turn out. I don't have any answers for it. I see no path to completion with this. When you get in those, I want a paradigm shift to happen. Stop asking the question, do I have enough to fix it? And you start making the statement, my Father will provide no matter what. Amen? My father will multiply. My father will, will take a little boy's lunch and feed 5,000. My God can do above and beyond what we ask, what we think, exceedingly imagine according to the power that already works within us. Amen? And there's somebody here today or online that needs that, that you need to activate true faith. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to pray for you. I want to pray together as a church. Let's pray. Father, I don't know who needs to hear this today, God. But somebody has been looking around at all the resources they have. They've been looking at everything around them. And Father, this morning I pray that they would now begin to look up. To turn their eyes to you, Jesus. The author and the finisher of our faith. And I pray in that, Lord, they would activate true faith. That joy would fill their heart knowing that you're a good father. And that if we ask for bread, you're not giving us a serpent or a stone. But God, you're going to do good things for us. And God, I pray that will be the testimony of many in this place, Lord. 
So today, Father, we as a corporate body, physically and online, we gather here and we just say, God, we trust you to provide in a way that we couldn't even imagine. And we thank you for that, Lord, that you're trustworthy. Help those today, Lord, that are struggling. There are people right now, I can feel it in the room, Lord, that are going through something and they need this. True faith, may they activate it right now, Father, in you, in your goodness. And may they trust in your faithfulness, no matter how you choose to do it. We submit to you, Father. And today as we pray, church, and whether you're in here physically or online, maybe for you, you've not surrendered your life to Christ. The little that you have, that's your life. And some of you think your life is not worth anything. You think you don't have much to offer. I remember sitting in the same place that you sat, in a chair, thinking that about my own life over 20 years ago. And I gave my, li my life to Jesus, someone who didn't have much to offer. And I've seen what the Lord can do. I want to encourage you right now. Some of you are sitting here saying, I need to either recommit my life to Jesus and surrender to him. I walked away. Or for the first time ever, I'm making this decision. I'm all in. I'm serving the Lord Jesus. I don't know which side of the fence you're on today. But if that's you and you know that you're ready to give the little bit you do have to give your life to him and watch him multiply and do amazing things through it, I want you to pray this prayer after me. And it's this, you say, God, I need the Savior today. I need Jesus. I cannot save myself with good works. I need Jesus. So today I repent. I turn from that old life and I receive new life. I receive and I ask for forgiveness of sin. For I believe that Jesus died on the cross. I believe he rose again on the third day. And today I make him my Lord. Jesus, I give my life to you. Take this little bit I do have and do amazing things with it. This life is now yours. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Man, put your hands together for everybody who makes that decision. Hey, listen, last week, last week, let me tell you, last week we saw 30 people across both locations water baptized proclaiming Jesus. People are making decisions. Man, we had four people spontaneously get, bat spontaneously get baptized here, and when I left Richmond last week, because I go straight from there, when I left Richmond, guess what was happening? I was leaving there, having conversations, and our associate campus pastor was still baptizing people after church. Amen? Like, so I celebrate everybody who made that decision today. God is moving. And so if you will stand to your feet. As we sing this song today, it's a song about hope. And maybe this message spoke to you. I want you to lift your voice, to lift your heart, and declare that there's no situation beyond hope. There's no hopeless situation in the kingdom. Let's worship God.